0: with joy that we reach for our bibles now it's been good to sit still for a few minutes and just quiet our hearts and say thank you for our great salvation it's always a joy and so refreshing to join our voices with the body of christ and sing the great truths of our salvation as we've done this morning you're good to us lord and we are a blessed people And so will you just take your word in the few minutes we have now and continue to strengthen us in our walk with Christ. And if there's any without Christ this morning or those who are skeptical or antagonistic toward the word, would you just, um, like you've done with so many of us for so long, just break their hearts and open their eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. Father, if there are those who are bearing burdens today, trying to be good enough to get to heaven, would you just turn the lights on for them and help them understand your grace and your love and your mercy and what it means to put one's faith and trust in Christ alone and lay our burdens down and find our rest in you. So accomplish your purposes now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I would like to use for our introduction of our message time this morning, and we're going to pick up um, into the message where we were last week as we work our way through Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, we needed to take some time last week and lay a foundation so that we can understand um, in the vernacular of our day today, we can understand what a punch in the mouth Jesus was to the Pharisees in Matthew 12. I want for our introduction time to turn to Luke's Gospel and chapter 13, and I want to make a point about Jesus and how absolutely irritating he was to Pharisees. We went at length last week to describe how the Pharisees were a group of religious leaders in the time of Christ who very much were committed to pleasing God through the keeping of the law. And one thing I wanted to emphasize is that you need to understand that a Pharisee, you know, it's like so many of us when we're wrong. We don't get out of bed in the morning and figure out how can I mess things up. We don't get out of bed in the morning and figure out how can I just think wrong about God. We don't do that. But somehow we just kind of lock on a system. It feels right. Puffed up with some pride like Pharisees. They think that they have it together and they're so committed to the Mosaic Law. And then they, of course, uh, it downgrades itself into the, into the rabbinic, rabbinic writings where spiritual leaders for really centuries going into the life of Christ deciphered and discerned and parsed Mosaic law and began to make up all these rules. And I took quite some time last week. You could click on the Internet and, and review that. But all of the things that God never intended the law to be, God intended his law to define his people as distinct among all other people, particularly pagan neighbors. God gave the Sabbath in particularly in the law Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy as a blessing to his people for rest and for refreshment and for fellowship and for worship. And they turned it into this cumbersome, horrible ordeal where I imagine many in Israel of old would rise on the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week and think to themselves, here we go again. And uh, it became a very burdensome thing to keep their rules and to try to feel spiritual. What I wanted to illustrate by way of introduction here this morning is to just take a minute and remind you that often and on purpose, Jesus did things on the Sabbath to illustrate the nonsense of what the Sabbath had become. He was also illustrating what the body of our message is about today in Matthew 12, and that is that the law and the keeping of the Sabbath was not to be something that superseded our love for people and our love for God. They loved the Sabbath. They loved the religiosity of it. They loved the keeping of lists more than they love people, more than they love the righteousness of God. And so Jesus, at least seven times violated the pharisaical laws of the Sabbath by doing miracles and healings that they considered unlawful. And this is important to recognize because in the story in Luke 13, and we'll not take long with it, um, similarly to the man that we're going to encounter in Matthew 12 with the withered hand, in Luke 13 is a woman who is bent over physically. It's an interesting story. Both of these accounts, and this is very important for you to understand, both of these individuals could live with their malady. It was not life-threatening. And you need to understand that in the mind of the Pharisee, in the keeping of the law, the only thing you could do on the Sabbath was keep someone from dying, but you couldn't do enough to help them get well. So if they weren't dying, you would leave them alone in their troublesome condition. if they were bleeding, you did enough to stop the bleeding, but you had to wait till the next day to stitch it. Okay? And so when Jesus would heal these individuals, it was just nails on a chalkboard to the Pharisees because he just disregarded their rules. Let's read the story and then let's get to Matthew 12. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. That was often his practice. He expounded the Old Testament. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. And she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. She had some kind of curvature of the spine. Very difficult. And when Jesus saw her, He called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Isn't that a great moment? Can you think of anything that would bring more joy to the body right there? Those who are watching, don't you think that would just break out into a, a worship service? Don't you think they would just be awed by the power of Christ to speak the word and touch her with his hand and to heal her of this malady? But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the seventh. What is wrong with your brain that somehow the keeping of rules is more important than this precious, broken lady? And what is wrong with your eyesight that you cannot see Jesus for who he is when you are so steeped in your religiosity that you would rather keep rules than worship the the, the living Christ in your presence? That's a scary thing that we're capable of doing that. And he's he said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed. And not on the Sabbath day. You see the Sabbath. They love the Sabbath. They worship the Sabbath, not the Lord of the Sabbath. And then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years? Somehow this physical affliction was tied in with a demonic or satanic work. Let her be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. As he said these things, verse 17, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced. And they hated that too. See, the people love Jesus. And the religious leaders just fall to the back shadows, so filled with rage. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. I had just encountered that story this week, and I thought, I just think that illustrates so well for us a foundation for our message. As you move to Matthew chapter 12... Because it just reminds us of what we talked about last week of this, this distorted, destructive mindset that somehow the Sabbath was to rule over us rather than to be something that brings refreshment. And, and, and it so blinded them to the reality of who Christ is. So let's reread this, the text of Matthew 12 and remind ourselves a little bit of where we were in our outline last week. And then I think we can conclude this part of the section of Matthew In our time frame. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. This is Matthew 12, verse 1. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. See, ooh, you broke our rules. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and they are guiltless. And I tell you something greater than the temple is here and the air just sucked out of the room. You're kidding me. There could be nothing in the mind of a Pharisee that was more important than their temple and their their keeping of their laws. I tell you, verse 6, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there, and he entered their synagogue, verse 9 and 10. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? You get the idea in Luke's passage, and we'll end up there if we can, that this guy was a plant. I don't know that he was complicit on the plan, but the Pharisees made sure that the guy with the withered hand was within eyesight and nearby Jesus on this Sabbath. They were set up to accuse Jesus, and he said to them, So which one of you who has a sheep, verse 11, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the others. And you would think another worship service would break out. Instead, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Wow. You know when people hate Jesus, they hate Jesus, don't they? It's illogical. It's it's satanic. I mean, what is to hate? It's just unbelievable. And so we saw last week uh, in the first Part of our message, we saw hungry disciples, hungry disciples, and we we took time to recognize that there was a provision in Deuteronomy under the law that for travelers and, and needy neighbors that they could walk by grain fields or orchards and they could reach out with their hands and they could harvest grain in their hand and they could eat it. And it was lawful. It was a lawful provision. And, but they were not allowed to use instruments of harvest. They couldn't take a sickle over there and start harvesting. And they couldn't store it up, but they could, whatever they could put in their hand and put in their mouth. But then we recognized that this had become so distorted and so disgusting that what, what the disciples were doing that enraged the Pharisees was that they had plucked these grain, heads of grain as they were walking through the fields, and no doubt that the Pharisees had counted over three thousand steps that they had taken that day, so they were mad about the fact that they had walked far farther than they were supposed to on the Sabbath. Then they harvest this heads of grain as they walk by, pull the stock, peel off the grain heads in their hand, and then they did this. They took their hands and rubbed them together to to, to get the husks loosened. Ah, oh, but they had to find that in their writings as threshing. See, they had harvested and then they were threshing and then they blew away the chaff and then by the time they had rubbed the grain in their hands, that was considered grinding grain because no doubt some of the heads of grain had been bruised in the process and they chunked it in their mouth and they ate and they walked down and the Pharisees are ready to explode in their anger. That's how ridiculous legalism gets. At a different level, years ago when I was a boy, there was an element of legalism that came into the church. It it, it was interesting, the days in which we live, you know, different elements come up. But in the 60s, do you remember the hippie movement? And do you remember what men you started doing with their hair? You started growing long hair. And so there became an element in the church of, of making sure our Christian young men had their hair cut. And I can remember some ministries that were large and influential in the Midwest when, uh, where we lived south of Chicago. And I can remember some of the stories that came out of that ministry where needy people would come into the church and the pastor in front of thousands of people would call down a guy with long hair, tell him to get up and leave the service and go get a haircut before you come back in here. I mean, for whatever reason, we, we, get, we get wound up with our little rules and, our, and you're like, where is that in the book? So we have these hungry disciples and we have hostile Pharisees and they attack because their rules are broken. But what I want us to see, number three in our message, number one, hungry disciples, number two, hostile Pharisees, number three, head on rebuttal. Head-on rebuttal by Jesus. I, I, you just have to love it that Jesus looks at these Pharisees and you get the idea, just like in Luke 13, and just like in these other passages, that it is on purpose that in front of the people, Jesus is trying to prove a point to these Pharisees. And I, I have to believe that at some level, I was going to say in his humanity, but um, it was a completely righteous humanity. You know, you can't say that Jesus in his flesh enjoyed something like wasn't right in the spirit. I, I digress on the dichotomy here the the whole deity of Christ, but there had to be something in him that just enjoyed poking Pharisees in the eye. It was a righteous joy, of course, with our Lord Jesus. And he goes head-on after them with this rebuttal of their error. And he does so by presenting three arguments. He clicks off three arguments in a row. And and the first one, it really stings because it was their favorite of all characters. Now, they love to identify with Abraham. They love to identify with Moses, the Pharisees, and the Jews, and the Israelites did. But their all-time favorite was David. He was the ultimate hero Every young boy in Israel played killing Goliath, I'm sure. And they loved David and he had written the Psalms and and it was under David's kingdom that those were the glory years and they wanted to go back to how it was under David. And immediately Jesus just goes right to their superhero and he said to them, verse 3, have you not read, and that right there, by the way, is a poke in the eye. These guys do nothing but read. Read. And write and think about the law. And so for Jesus, haven't you read? uh, What's wrong with you, buddy? Haven't you? Of course they've read. They memorized it. And they rewrote it. Haven't you read? Don't you know what you're talking about? And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, that would be the tabernacle then, And he ate the bread of the presence at the table of showbread. This story is in 1 Samuel 21. We'll not turn there. You need to listen. There's a guy named Abimelech who was the priest at that time. And David was running from King Saul. Remember, he spent much of his life, early years, um, running from King Saul, about 10 years. Uh, um, And he was afraid for his life. And he had a band of faithful warriors who were with him. And they come here where Abimelech the priest had set up for worship. And one of the things that the priests did every Sabbath was they baked bread and put out fresh loaves of bread on the table of showbread. And it, it was symbolic of of God's meeting their needs and so forth, and it was part of their worship, but nobody was allowed to eat it except the priests, and they ate it the next week. So they ate week-old bread and baked a new batch, so that every week they had bread. You have to know, um, one place that I read that, that said that these loaves were made each, there were 12 loaves, by the way, one for every tribe of Israel, and these loaves consisted of about uh, six and a half pounds of flour. They were big loaves. So it makes sense that David, it wasn't like our little communion plate where a, a, a strong young man with a bunch of bandit warriors could come in and they could feed themselves on our little communion bread. These were big loaves of bread. And so David comes in to, to the priest and he says, Do you have anything? We're starving. We've been on the run. Parentheses. For some of you who, who like to dig into the word, and, and I can't digress at all, but First Samuel 21 where David does this, he lies. Go figure that out. Okay. Close close parentheses. Don't let your mind go too far with that. But guys like Buddy King will look that up now and really try to think about it. And so, a little situation ethics going on with David. He's starving. He's on the run. He's trying to save his life. This is not a high point in his life. Um, he's going to feign craziness in front of the Philistines right after this occurrence. The point is, he comes to the priest and he says, do you have anything to eat? Well, it's unlawful for people to eat the bread off the table of presents. And the priest says, yes, absolutely, eat the showbread. You're God's man, you're God's anointed, and you're hungry. And the whole point is that you can violate the law for needs that are critical. That's what Jesus' point is. The first illustration is, you want to know when you can violate the law? Look at David. Look at 1 Samuel 21 and when needs are critical, eat the bread. And it wasn't a sin and God did not hold him accountable for that. And the priests gave up their right to the bread and fed it to them and it wasn't what they were supposed to do, but they were starving and it was God's man. He was on the run and he had a critical need. The second illustration that he uses, he says right away, and what about the priests? Have you not read in the law on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple, they profane the Sabbath. What is that all about? Well, you're not supposed to kill on the Sabbath day, right? And what do priests do for acts of worship? They'd only not only do they kill normal sacrifice, they double the sacrifice because of the Sabbath. So if on a regular day of worship, they would kill one goat on the Sabbath, they killed two goats. So what did the priest do so that everybody could worship? The priest killed animals. You weren't supposed to kill animals on the Sabbath. They also had their little rules. Remember, they were only supposed to pick something up that weighed how much like um, a dried plum or something is what their rule was for weight. And so once the priest slaughtered the animal, what did he have to do? He had to pick it up and put it on the altar. And so he was picking up heavy things and on it went. And every part of their day, every part of their act of worship, right and left, violated all the the rules. And yet God made an exception. Why? Because these were deeds that were spiritual, number two. So for needs that are critical, forget the law, man. Take care of the need. Secondly, in this spiritual act of worship, these are deeds of worship. And so we don't let the law dictate on this. So there is an exception, Jesus is saying. So you guys have this distorted view. He goes on and then he says the most powerful, profound thing in the passage. Have you not read in the law, verse 5, on the Sabbath, the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and yet they're guiltless? God allows for that. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. How can that be? How can that be? How can that be? And Jesus is now talking about himself. It's a claim of deity. And he said, and if you had known what this means, and then he quotes from Hosea, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, then you would not have condemned the guiltless. And Jesus is looking, number three, for hearts that are merciful. He's looking in the Pharisees in the eye, and he's telling them, "Look, you don't meet critical needs of people. You don't you don't observe the spiritual deeds of the worship day, and you don't care about merciful hearts. You don't care about what's going on. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, and Jesus' point is that I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, and it's a little bit like I make the rules. I can break the rules. I supersede the Sabbath." Jesus himself is greater than the keeping of these laws. You know what this reminds? This point here where he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It made my mind, and we won't turn there, but it's Luke chapter 10. And it's one of the most familiar stories in all the Bible. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan, remember? And do you remember the way that story sets itself up? That there was a man going up to Jerusalem. He's attacked by bandits and he's left for dead, bleeding on the side of the road. And the first person who comes along was the priest, right? But the priest had business to do, right? He had sacrifices to take care of. And he had, he had all of his stuff that he was going to take care of. And he was worried about violating the Sabbath. His whole, his whole world. And the whole point is Jesus said, I'm not worried about you going to church and worshiping. I'm not worried about you keeping all your technical rules. There's a man bleeding and dying in the road. Show mercy! Show mercy! Forget getting to church on time. You gotta stop and help this guy. And then the Levite comes through. I can't do that. Jesus' whole point is that he loves people. And you have to have a heart of mercy. In Micah 6 8. Remember what it says? Let's all turn to Micah 6.8. It's way in the end of your Old Testament. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. 6-8. Do you remember this verse? There was a song written about it about 35 years ago that was pretty popular. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice. And to love mercy. Mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Do you know who had this verse in their hands? The Pharisees. This was part of their study scriptures. They had the writings of the prophets. And God told them, this is what I require of you. Oh man, this is what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And they didn't get it, did they? And so then Jesus goes on, and number four, we have hard hearts exposed. The head-on rebuttal rebuttal goes to hard hearts exposed, verses 9 through 14. And, And in fact let's go to Luke 6 and read Luke's account of this and with this we'll wrap up Luke 6 Luke it, just to give ourselves another perspective Luke gives some interesting detail Luke 6 6 is the parallel account on another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was withered and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath that's where you kind of get the idea of the plant Let's set this guy right here in the front of the group. They knew the guy with the withered hand liked to come to the synagogue. Let's make sure he gets a chair right where Jesus can see him so that they might find reason to accuse him. So this was a planned, set-up moment. But Jesus knew their thoughts, verse 8, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. So what Luke tells us is that Jesus didn't just, just like look over at him in the audience and say, stretch out your hand. The guy stretches out his hand and his hand was healed. L- Jesus calls the guy up front. The question, class, does Jesus know what they're thinking? Lesson to take home, class, never mess with Jesus. Hey, sir, come up here, stand here. He knows that they've conspired against him. He knows what they're thinking, and look what it says. And he says, and he rose and he stood there, and Jesus said to them, Okay, because he knows. So before he even heals the guy's hand, he then turns and asks him this question. And he says to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Now they're in a quandary. See, either way they answer, they're going to be wrong. How can they say it's not right to do good? But then, then they would have to say Jesus was okay. And they can't say it was okay to... But then they don't want to say that it's right to destroy life. After looking around at them, verse 10, and all he said to them, he said, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. Pretty great moment, huh? Didn't touch him. Didn't spit in the mud and make mud and smear it on his hand. He just said, stretch your hand out. Bam. Good hand. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Listen, back in Matthew 12... I said we would end right there, but I wanted to point out that Jesus says in verse 12 at this moment, when he has the guy up front, he said, which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Verse 12, this is a great sanctity of human life verse, by the way, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? And then he asks the question, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? You know, when I, when I read this stuff and study this stuff, I just love Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? <laughs> He's just great. I know that's the understatement of the day. But I mean, it's so just John Wayne, punch him in the mouth right there. I love that. So what about us? What do we, what do we take home with us today today? How do you apply a passage like this? Let me just give you three quick thoughts. Number one, people are more important than rules. People are more important than rules. And I know this creates a tension, you know. You got your house cleaned. And everything's nice and neat. And then your kids out playing in the mud. And they come running through the living room on the carpet and everything. And the, and the cat's with them. And the cat is doing what it does and scratching and other things. And he's like, I just cleaned this house. And you're messing it up. Uh, but Pastor Van said that Jesus said that people are more important than rules. So, <laughs> hey, have at it, kids. <laughs> so don't get out of this that we're to become libertarians. That somehow we have license to just do whatever we feel like because Jesus said, break the Sabbath anytime you want. Break the law because if it feels good, do it. That's not what Jesus is saying, but in its essence, in its core, isn't it saying? Listen, you you love your religious systems. You love the way you have it here, but people are more important. We have to use good sense, don't we? What are the needs of people? How much more important is it? to love people. Secondly, people are more important than animals. I think we take that home out of this passage. People are more important than animals. I'm going to bite my tongue and refrain from how much is spent in the church on veterinary bills for animals. I know you love your animal but of all people our hearts need to be broken for people not animals made in the image of Christ, in God, of God by Christ. Number three, showing mercy is always the right thing to do. Showing mercy is always the right thing to do. Listen, people will drive you crazy. And people will do things, you know. And here's the kind of things I hear sometimes. Um... In our church at at a much lesser level, that guy was serving communion and he didn't have a suit on. Um, We were in three weeks in a row and we never opened our hymnals. I don't know, you know, we could go all over the place with this kind of stuff, can't we? And I think somehow we got to guard ourselves. To keep the main thing the main thing. And to not be caught up in in how we picture the system should work. But be driven by mercy. And ultimately that the gospel set people free from from their bent back and their shriveled hand. Metaphorical of sin and its impact upon people, right? Let's bow in prayer. Father, would you forgive us, please, for the distortion with which we often live the Christian life? And would you help us to be loving, merciful people who love you more than all else and who show that love by loving people? And we're reminded that even the law and the commandments are summarized by these two great statements, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart our soul and our mind and strength. And then the second like unto it is to love our neighbor as ourself. And so we keep the law. So, Father, take your Holy Spirit's ministry among us and allow it to to kind of just percolate, settle in us, to continue to grow us, to be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.